Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here, and we are back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. I am very excited because today we have author Ray Wang, and he is the author of a new book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. We're going to talk about how this whole digital world is impacting the customer experience. He is also a co-host on Disrupt TV with my good friend Vala Afshar, and I'm excited to have him. But before we get into that, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, if you've got an amazing story about customer service, you know what to do. Send it to me. You can go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, you name it. I'm there. And if you have a question, just use the hashtag AskShep. I'll either answer it right there in the social media channel on my uh, radio show, Amazing Business Radio, on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home. And by the way, eh, that show can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, and you can even go to BeAmazing.tv because we put some of the older episodes up on YouTube. So that's BeAmazing.tv. Let's get into the interview. Are you ready, Ray? I kind of gave you a little soft uh, warm up there and intro, but Ray, I am holding the new book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Every time I've seen you speak, every time I'm hanging around you, energy just comes out of every orifice of your body. And I kind of feel and felt it as I read the book. Welcome to the show. And, and we're going to talk about the book and all kinds of other customer experience related ideas. Hey, it's great being here. Awesome. And more importantly, you know, it's amazing. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I love that word. So, well, let's jump into this. Um, first of all, uh, you're an analyst and you go around the world and you talk to companies, you talk at industry events and you give people insights. What's the biggest, I know this is a big question. What's your biggest insight since, uh, well, it's been about a weird year and a half or so because of COVID. You know, the biggest insight is that the companies that figured out how to win have actually expanded their win and their gap, you know, with everybody else. It's like they've left the other companies in the dust. So if you started out with a digital channel and you're like, oh, this is great but you didn't have a digital business model and you didn't understand how to do digital monetization and you didn't understand that this is all about customer experience, you, you pretty much were decimated. And, and that's yeah. what's been going on. And, and those yeah. four things have to come together. If you don't put those four things together, you're not even going to come close. And the digital the giants again. do that. So you got to get your digital channels down, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, I'm on the web. That's great. Okay. Oh, I'm AR. Well, who cares, right? Do you have a digital business model? Do you understand how you build a business around that? And do you have digital monetization? That's like ads and search and goods and services and memberships and subscriptions. And then, of course, are you focusing on delivering excellent customer experience that really comes from a customer-centric point of view. Yep. Awesome. So those four are important, but um, do you feel that applies to every company or is there just a group of companies in an industry? I think oh, it I know has the to answer, apply to every to company, but you. only a few have done it right. I mean, you're mm -hmm. exactly right, Chip. Only a few have figured it out. You'd and think by now, you know? So I, I know one of them has got to be Amazon. Oh, 
Amazon's definitely there. Airbnb's one of those. Roblox Mm. is one of those. Starlink from, you know, SpaceX is one of those. Coupang in Korea, it's like the Amazon of Korea. I mean, these companies get it. I mean, they're doing it better than everyone else. Postmates, Uber Eats, they're in that category. So we're definitely seeing that. These are all consumer type businesses, B2C. How about the B2B world? In the B2B world, the one that gets it, like it should be a poster child for this, is Honeywell, right? They figured it out uh, end to end. Uh, you can see it across the board. And then, of course, you know, a lot of the tech vendors have done a great job as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So, all right. Well, let's jump into a comment that you made that customers are trading loyalty for price, convenience, status, value, and any other reason. Uh, we don't see it ending, but we see an evolution where loyalty is part of a large equation around the relevance and value exchange. Are you suggesting that people are saying loyalty is not important as price and convenience and everything? Or are you saying, if you want my loyalty, you need to give me that? Where I used to think price became less relevant as we moved forward uh, and created these great conveniences and great services. But now you're saying price is now part of the model. You can't avoid it. You know, on one hand, I'm saying all those attributes are important. On the other hand, I'm telling you loyalty is dead because it's about value exchange at the right time because of mass personalization at scale and your ability to deliver what people want at that moment in time. The same person, I'll give you a great example. Um, The same person who might purchase a, you know, a budget car 20 years later might buy a Beamer or buy a luxury brand, right? Because, you know, it's the same individual, but the circumstances have changed. It's just like I check into a lower budget hotel. It's two in the morning. I just want the remote key. I don't want to see anybody. I just want to go straight to the room. But if mm-hmm. I'm going to hire a more expensive kind of luxury brand, I'm, I'm okay with the person opening the door. I'm okay with that whiff of scent air that hits me. It's okay that that flute of champagne's available and a spi- friendly smiling individuals on the other end greeting me there. Right. I'm the same person hasn't changed, but you just didn't understand me and you're not delivering what you what I want at that moment in time. And therefore, you've lost my loyalty. So they're trading loyalty for convenience, loyalty for status, loyalty for value. Right. And that exchange is what we're talking about there. And and this is even more important going forward, actually, because brands that don't understand loyalty and community, they're going to be dead in the water because of the cookie apocalypse. Right, because that ad network is being built off of loyalty programs in the future because of the first party data. Yep, and so uh, for those that didn't quite understand that last part, when you are on a website, cookies track that you're there and that's why all of a sudden you'll start to see ads popping up depending upon what you've been looking at on the web. Uh, Nothing wrong with that, a lot of people who understand it, many of them say, this is really cool, they've been watching me, they know what I want, Others others think it's kind of creepy get over it. Okay. I'm the guy that says, stick a chip in the back of my neck. If you'll make my life better, just don't spam me and don't abuse me. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I want to make sure I understand because um, a little bit of this runs contradictory to research that we have. Just recently, we interviewed over a thousand consumers. Now it's the consumer world, but I believe B2B and consumers are starting to blend, you know, the B2C world is starting to blend together. You know, when I have a client that says, and I think I've said this on the show before, I'm going to write an entire article about it coming up. He had a half a million dollar piece of machinery being delivered to him. And this is what he said. I can't believe it just shows up. I had no idea it was going to show up early. You know, even Amazon tells me when my toilet paper's on its way, why can't these people do it for a half a million dollar piece of machinery? But I digress. The concept of convenience 
makes price less relevant. I mean, if you think about it, we used to say, oh, I'm going to go order some food and they deliver for free. Today, they deliver with a $5 surcharge for Uber Eats or whomever, and we're happy to pay it. So how can you say that that price is becoming a, a, a qualifier for a loyalty? It's not price. And the Uber Eats example is a great one here because what's going on over there is five things that actually make the next set of digital giants. And the first one is customer account control disintermediation. Basically, if you think about what happened in the pandemic, restaurants who have hundreds, maybe thousands of customers gave up their customers to the food delivery apps. Those companies then disintermediate customer account control because you're like, oh, I want to order. Oh, Italian, German, everything's here. Okay, the aggregators have now taken over. Then they took the data and figured out that, hey, in your postal code or zip code, they like Thai food more than Italian or, hey, they like Chinese food more than Indian food. And then they started to monetize against that data and build a bigger network. So they went to, instead of thousands, they have now millions of companies that are in that space. And what that's allowing them to do is to compete on what we call data supremacy by aggregating these large networks, which create what we call data-driven digital networks. And so pretty soon, the food delivery app companies are the first place you go to. They actually can monetize the data. They know how to actually build better kind of models. They're delivering on super, super better customer experience because of that data and insight. And of course, they can lose hundreds of millions of dollars and nobody cares so long they're growing, right? And that's a threat <laughs> to companies that have, that, that have done an awesome job. I like can never Domino's, understand right? that, yeah. <laughs> We lose money on every sale, but we make it up in volume. Is that? Is that no, do? they're trying to get to the network effects. And that's the right. thing that they're able to do because now you have tens of millions of people on the network. They've got better data. And what they're competing on this concept we call decision velocity, right? You and I, I don't know how it make, we take, make a decision per second. If we were working in large corporates, how long would it take us to get it out of the boardroom? Would it be like a week, two weeks, a month, a quarter, a year? Right. The bigger they are, the harder it is to get that decision made. No doubt about that. So this is all fascinating to me. Uh, Again, I want to remind everybody, the book is called everybody wants to rule the world, surviving and thriving in a world of digital giants. It's available Mm. on Amazon and everywhere else that books are sold. You should get it. It's Ray Wang. Amazing, brilliant, brilliant man. I want to shift uh, before we take a break. I want to talk a little bit about uh, how the pandemic has really accelerated everything we're talking about. This is not brand new. This was here two and three and four years ago. It's just that about 18 months or so ago, March 2000. 22, uh, I'm sorry, 2020, next year's 22, uh, 2020, uh, things changed. And all of a sudden people said, Ooh, I better start doing this, doing it on a bigger basis, greater basis, or learn how to do it. Yeah, no. And, and one of the things that we saw, um, that happened very early was the fact of the use of analytics and customer experience, right? Prior to the pandemic, you'd get these reports like, oh, this is what happened last week, or here's what happened last month, right? During the pandemic, I mean, you breathe and live data at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, even in your sleep at night, right? That changed the way we looked at real-time information, real-time insights. And in the fact, in the digital world, every action we take is a demand signal. You have attribution. You know where I was. You know what time of day it was. You know what journey I was in. You know how I was feeling. And you can actually take that information and start building patterns against that. And so what we set off in the middle of the pandemic was this 
ultimate collection of autonomous data collection and information and insights that actually drive signal intelligence. And that refinement of that information and insight is creating competitive moats for organizations that know how to use data to kind of like predict what you might like or prevent fraud or to mitigate a risk or to identify a new market that hasn't been touched or to realize that, hey, you know, no one ever uses that feature right? No one ever uses that feature. What are we doing with that? Maybe we should develop our products with a more customer-centric point of view. Yep. Wow. Sounds to me like uh, the, the beauty of this is it gives that customer a more personalized experience. And I know earlier in the conversation, you talked about mass personalization. So what I want to do is take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to pick up there with mass personalization. We'll talk more about the customer experience. We're talking with R. Ray Wang. Everybody wants to rule the world. His latest and greatest book, Don't Go Away. We are coming right back. Hi, Shep Hyken, your customer service and experience expert. And I'm excited to tell you about my new book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. Now, this book is packed with idea after idea on how to, just as the title implies, get your customers to come back. In the book, you'll learn that repeat customers aren't always loyal customers. Now, both are great, but there's a big difference. You'll also learn about 10 reasons a customer may stop doing business with you and three reasons you would stop doing business with them. And one of my favorite lessons is a six-step process for creating an I'll Be Back strategy. Of course, there's much, much more. The book ships out in September, but purchase it today and you'll get instant access to the ebook at no extra charge. You'll start getting more of your customers to say, I'll be back almost immediately. Just go to www.I'llBeBackBook.com. Again, that's www.I'llBeBackBook.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. We are talking with Ray Wang, author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Ray, we started uh, to go down this road. You mentioned it earlier in the conversation, mass personalization. And that's like almost an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. How does something mass become personalized? And I realize you can put customers into buckets to identify, oh, these, like Nike, these people love running shoes. These people like to play basketball. These people like to play soccer. So you can market that way. Uh, give us more insight into the whole idea of using data to give a better experience and create a more personalized experience, even on a massive level. Yeah, we see mass personalization happen all the places around us. I'll give you an example that's actually simpler. I'll use it in kind of a work example, but you'll see how customization actually happens. Let's say you walk into a building. It's a 50-story skyscraper. It's two in the afternoon. You know, 27-point facial analysis hits with the cameras. Your gate analysis comes by. It says, hey, it looks like Shep. He's on the 15th floor. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Well, it's two in the afternoon. There's a few people in the lobby, but send the freaking elevators down, right? That's the first part, but it gets even better. Walk into the elevator. You swipe your badge. It knows it's you. It says, hey, look, you know, would you like to go to the 15th floor? There's a 90% chance you're going to take that offer. But actually, something else has happened. Your boss, she's on the 50th floor. You've been trying to meet with her for the last four weeks. There's an opening. So there's a 70% chance you might actually take that offer to meet her on the floor. But wait, an A-B test pops up and says, Shep, would you like there's donuts on the fifth floor? 
would you go for that? I want to know which floor you take, right? And so what we've done here is we've actually taken the notion of context, the notion of choices, and the notion of anticipatory analytics and put it all together. And over time, what we end up doing is we start building patterns to see what people do, and we get smarter and smarter to deliver on that mass personalization at scale. Now, this might happen with airline miles or tickets or travel or shopping experiences. It might even happen in B2B in terms of frequency of orders or what type of contracts people tend to go for, or when do they pay early for discounts, that gets all factored into the systems. And that's why this mass personalization at scale has evolved. And we've gone from transactional systems like CRM to engagement systems that are really like social business to experiences, which is about crafting journeys to now delivering a mass personalization at scale with the ultimate goal of getting to what we call autonomous enterprises, where these organizations are self-directing, self-correcting, self-thinking, self-guiding in the fact that they actually build their own models over time. And technology is driving this. So what if I'm a small company? Is there anything I can do? Do I have a chance? You definitely do have a chance. And what's going to happen is smaller companies are going to be part of these other business networks. And these networks are all part of what we call these data-driven digital networks, where that you actually connect. Your data actually powers your ability to deliver more personalization. But it's part of a larger business network where you're starting to subscribe to trends. There may be a day when people sell software. Actually, no, they don't sell software. They give the software away for free, and you pay for the insights. Insights. The, the insights, the oh, patterns, insights. Pay for the, the insights. trends, okay, good. the analyses. Yep. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's fascinating to me. And and when I, as I was going through the book, I mean, this is this is like high end, heady, super incredible information. And I know uh, you and I have known each other probably what about maybe fifteen years, perfectly. I mean, we've never really spent a lot of time together. But when I'm around you, um, I just feel like. If I was around you one day a week, I would be a much, much smarter person, maybe one day a month. All right. Something that you talk about in this book has to do with, uh, and I think it directly impacts the customer or consumer or client, whatever it is. You talk about, uh, we're starting to see innovation, new offerings at lower prices, but because big companies are growing and they're buying and acquiring it's going to create, you know, you, you call it duopolies and monopolies, but even if it's triopolies and quadropolies, if there is such a word, uh, basically we're narrowing the competitive field down. And you don't think that is good for the consumer. Yeah, I think it's really bad in the long run. But right now we're getting some benefits from that scale. So today, for example, you know, our ability to actually access AI, do language translation, even do this call, right? To do the taping. That's all come from the innovations from these digital giants. But what we actually see is in some markets like North America, there might be only 50 major markets with 100 different companies. That would be like 90% of the Fortune 500 decimated by 2050 because companies Companies are building duopolies faster and faster than they were in the past. In the old days, Airbus versus Boeing, Burger King versus you know McDonald's, Pepsi versus Coke. These things took 40 to 50 years to get there. But today, organizations are building companies much more quickly. Take Google became a dominant player in search. One would say even monopoly in search in less than 10 years. Facebook was dominant in social in less than 10 years, right? Now, here's the other interesting thing. Traditionally, what happens is you actually stay in your swim lane for your business model, and you make money doing the things that you do in, in your specific industry. But in a digital world, you can only monetize in six ways. Ads, search, goods, services, memberships, subscriptions. 
And so you have the situation where the monopoly in search or dominant player in search, Google, is competing with the dominant player monopoly in social in, in, in Facebook for ad dollars. Right. Google does 130 billion in 2020. Facebook did 70 billion and they're competing for ad dollars. Now, the next competitor five years ago was Microsoft. Right. But today, that next competitor is another dominant player. It's in commerce. It's Amazon. And in fact, Amazon's doing 14.1 billion dollars in digital ads. And so you see this weird dynamic of massive competition for digital monetization, but monopolies in specific business models. And it's confusing antitrust lawyers and antitrust officials. Right. I see. And even, even the government has uh, started saying, hey, we're going to start doing what we can to try to curb um, some of these companies growing as quickly as they can. That's why they like to force breakups so that there aren't monopolies because monopolies are not good for competition. Uh, they, they really make it harder for the consumer or even, you know, the buyer in a B2B world to, you know, I mean, competition really is good. It helps keep prices competitive, hence the word competition, but it also forces better innovation. And, um, you know, because if I've got to stay ahead of my competitor, I'm going to try doing more and more and more. If I don't have any competitors, I'm going to get stagnant. And by the way, we all know, all we have to do is look at Amazon and realize if all Amazon was, was selling books, well, they may or may not be in business today, right? But they expanded, they saw the opportunities, they grew, they grew, they grew. And you know, Amazon, as we know it from a retailer standpoint, makes less money. They may have bigger sales, but they make less money than they do in their AWS cloud It is. Services. It's part of that. But we have to be so. careful to make sure that we do have rules in place. And we do. We have antitrust legislation when, you know, big tech companies mm -hmm. and these digital giants are no longer innovating. They're buying out the competition and shutting them down. They're reducing the number of choices that are out there. They're driving up prices. Well, that's when we need antitrust. That's when we need that regulation. But today, the benefits out Way the costs. And that's why they're still in business. And that's why it's very hard to put an antitrust suit against them. I mean, there's that one person in DC, like uh, that individual at a you know district attorney is like, we're going to sue Amazon for making all the prices lower. You're like, really? <laughs> I was like, I know, I know. With this, you know? <laughs> so, but, it, but in your book, you talk about, uh, or you write about um, the prices aren't necessarily lower at Amazon anymore. However, and by the way, this is what I love about Amazon is they say you could buy it somewhere else outside of the prime program for less money. Do you want to take that? Do you chance? want to take that chance? And do you want to, <laughs> do you need it in an hour or less? I mean, in some places you're getting stuff like right away. So, right, right, right. You think it and it's there. So <laughs> not quite, but actually thanks to uh, uh, the Amazon echo. And I'm not going to mention her name. She's right behind me. I could say, Hey, I need more toilet paper and it will be here. Okay. And it, it's great. But no, I think that's your point is that as these companies grow and acquire competitiveness um, is, is an issue. But Amazon did something different. They kept those prices low. And not only that, Jeff Bezos says, I'm putting money back into the company at a higher rate than most companies would. I don't think he sacrificed profit. He, he, what he did is he improved growth to ensure profit uh, at a thinner margin and putting a lot of money back into innovation. All right, we're running out of time. And uh, how about if, uh, I always ask the one thing question. Right, I'm gonna right, ask you fine. for one, one more thing. thing. But right now, 
let's let's do a let's do a three thing question. I've never done uh, my last three questions. I just want you to give me three nuggets that we need to know about this book. Everybody wants to rule the world, surviving and thriving in a world of digital giants. Tell us three ideas that we should get out of the book and absolutely take some action. You pay on. attention. There are Easter eggs in this book. There are three trillion dollar market cap companies. If you see them, I'll come help you build it for percentage of the company, right? But it is there, right? There are ten hundred billion dollar unicorn ideas in the book as well that people can look for. Um, and then I'll give a different nugget. Here's an interesting point. People have to be, you have to be really, really careful watching the regulation that we're talking about. And one of the things that we talk about is the notion of personal data as a privacy right. And so we have land, you've got titles, you've got ideas, we have intellectual property and trademarks, but your digital exhaust, your genomics, all your personal information, that should be a property right. And then in every single state, anywhere else, people have to seek your consent and have to give you a valid exchange if they want to use that property. And that will completely disrupt where we are in this industry. And then the last thing, I, I think hope we're heading there. there. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think we're heading there. We're at least we're, we're definitely trying. trying. And then in the last piece is really when we think about the stat, 90% of the Fortune 500 may be gone by 2050 if this continues. Wow. So all you got to do is go back to 1983. Uh, there was a book written in search of excellence, Tom Peters and um, Waterman, I think is his name. But anyway, Tom Peters famous for this book. And you look at who those excellent companies are and, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but a bunch of those companies are gone today. They've been bought up, merged, or out of business. And, you know, 2050 is only 30 yep. years from now. It's not, you know, what's going to happen? I think the world's going to be completely different. I think, uh, I don't think it's going to take 30 years. It may not be 90% gone in 30 years, but I'll bet you in 10 years, the landscape is different. Will Amazon still be ruling the retail word, world, I don't know, worldwide, but at least here in the U.S.? Uh, the competitors are there. I think, you know, that's been good for us as consumers. As I mentioned, on a retail side, great. They have other opportunities. I would love if you would just share one more. I'm going to do the one thing question anyway. <laughs> if I was sitting with you and said, gosh, I've got 60 seconds, Ray, change my world. What would you tell me? I would tell you that um, you have to go out and find your turnaround catalysts. If you're a CEO of an existing company, find the turnaround catalyst, find an owner operator to change the way the mission of the company is. Find a way to re reset your cap table so you can hire better talent. Find the disruptive technology that will transform your minimum viable offering. Think about what you can do in markets to build multi-sided markets built on data supply chains. And the last piece is reinvent your board to start thinking long-term so they can compete, not on the short-term quarter to quarter EBITDA cycle, but long-term in thinking about dominating and building your own digital giant. Bang. I believe Sony uh, sits down and they have a 100-year yeah. plan. Is that right? Is Sony one of the companies? has a hundred year plan. How many of the companies here in the U S look out 100 years from now, where are we going? I can't to be? name one. Can you? No, no, I can't. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have heard the wisdom of Ray Wang. Again, author of everybody wants to rule the world, get it at Amazon. That's it for amazing business radio. Thanks Ray for being on the show. You're amazing. Thank you so much. It's been awesome being here. Thank you. <laughs> 
All right, we'll be back next week with another interview. Until then, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.